Welcome to the Short Funk Podcast. I'm Tom Barbelay, and today the conclusion to My Enemy's Enemy is My Future Enemy. ISIS is a very curious entity, and the creation of ISIS, and in particular the US involvement with training ISIS early, should be textbook taught to children as an example of US foreign policy being used to create a future enemy. There's so much to this. And when I started recording in a kind of abstract, free-flowing form of thought, I realized that it was difficult to distill these issues down. Following the invasion of Iraq, a gentleman by the name of Muqtadr al-Sadr started, well, he already had a power base. He was a kind of religious political leader, or at least the son of a religious leader who became a religious political leader. And he started creating an army of disenfranchised Shiites called the Mehdi army. And al-Sadr posed a very real and demonstrable threat to primarily the US forces in Iraq. In response to this, in 2005, the US created the Sons of Iraq, which was a means for the US to funnel money, weapons and training to a group of Sunnis that were not really affiliated with al-Qaeda, but there were certainly concerns that there was some al-Qaeda affiliation. This process calmed certain aspects, but basically fueled the Iraq Civil War, which was a sectarian war between Sunnis and Shias. That went on, well, could still be going on. I mean, it's an ongoing thing. But through this period of time, there was a group of Sunnis that were heavily funded, trained and armed by the US. and. To get this distilled, the Sons of Iraq is your starting point if you want to learn more about this loosely cobbled together group of organizations. At some point, however, many in the Sons of Iraq got disenchanted, but they had US weapons, US training, funded by the US, and they decided to join ISIS, or at least what ISIS was called, 2006-2007. With US training, US weapons, and having been funded by the US. And the scale of numbers, well, depending on who you read, about 50,000 to 70,000 men that had this training, that had these weapons, that had been heavily skilled through this period of time by the US military. And the role of these individuals in ISIS, in particular in cementing ISIS's fighting style, recruiting style, as a means of doing house-to-house raids, if you see video footage of ISIS fighters, they look like US fighters. They fight the same way. It's astonishing just to have this kind of blueprint of US military intelligence embodied in Sunnis. And it's, this is never discussed. This is not part of the common vernacular that this large group of folk that we used to try to repress another group of folk basically went rogue and formed the rank and file of ISIS and went on to train and recruit additional folks in Iraq and Syria, and obviously internationally as well. The starting of the bombing campaign in Syria is very curious, and it came through a series of internet videos that were published by far-right religious groups in the US. They're mislabeled. The footage is actually of Assad's forces killing and maiming children, and Assad's forces putting people's heads on spikes. But because no one's actually clear in the US, particularly in the right-wing religious groups, who's who, and everyone's a terrorist over there, this footage of the Assad forces was used against ISIS. Now, I'm no huge fan of ISIS. I don't think 
they are a model organization, but I think they certainly fill a gulf that was left by primarily US setup, military, civilian policing, and officials that had no meaningful connection with the country. They were just set up like a Vichy state, basically. In contrast, ISIS, while being very curious, doesn't necessarily have legitimacy, but certainly is considerably more connected with the general people in the areas that they are in. And other people leave, obviously. Humanitarian disasters, clearly, but basically everything associated with this conflict is a humanitarian disaster. I don't think there's any moral authority amongst any of the combatants or former combatants, particularly when there seems to be a kind of vested interest in maintaining what was originally set up, but was so totally cronyistic that the general public just backed away from that. When the bombing of Syria started, based on this curious footage, it seemed clear that the US wasn't interested in bombing Assad. And that I found very, very curious, because Assad is supposed to be, you know, he was one of the axes of evil. He was, in general, viewed as a despot, at least in the West. And it seemed very curious that all the military action that the US was funneling was against ISIS, particularly when the long-standing connection of ISIS and the US military seems very curious. Another point of interest, a majority of ISIS's funding, well, certainly a good portion of ISIS's funding, came through an incident or a series of incidents around banks that contained vast quantities of money in the central part of Iraq. They were supposed to be guarded, supposed to be looked after, in the order of about $600 million. Not Bin Laden money, but still a good amount of money. Those protecting these banks disappeared. The Iraqi army disappeared. And ISIS walked in, took all the money, took the vast quantity of US equipment and other things that had been left behind, primarily to be used by the Iraqi army, but just in general left behind. The volume of military vehicles and these kind of things couldn't coherently be used just by the Iraqi army. This narrative doesn't make sense. And progressively, there have been accidental weapons drops. There have been a variety of things that seem to indicate that subtly, by sleight of hand, the US is still trying to bolster up ISIS through some capacity. Very, very curious. And it paints an interesting picture associated with US foreign policy going forward, if you look at it with a certain degree of analysis. My perspective with regards to ISIS is probably... Over a long-term period, this group could actually become like the PLO or a variety of other strange previously labelled terroristic factions, Sinn Féin in Ireland, these kind of organisations, because currently the volume of land that they control cannot be taken away from them through bombing. And my real concern associated with bombing, which is the start of this whole series of recordings, is that bombing actually doesn't do anything effective in these circumstances aside from support a weary civilian population to either exit or support ISIS even more. The accidental bombing of women, children and unconnected men existed from the very start of the Syrian bombing campaign. What concerns me more than anything is that we hear very little here associated with the Syrian bombing campaign. The international outrage associated with the refugee situation with Syria percolates into the media slowly, but not covered by major US media, so from an occasional journalist tripping people fleeing. So you have an issue here which is being completely censored by the US media, 
and yet an ongoing bombing campaign which has now become a proxy war between the US and Russia associated with who they bomb. But note, neither the US nor Russia are bombing Assad here. So it's almost like both sides are complicit with the fact that the previous despot or the current despot that's in control, let's just keep him in place. And through this as well, the questions associated with ISIS, the funding of ISIS and how ISIS came to be, no one ever talks about it. Never an issue of contention. Now you have every single political candidate from the two main parties supporting the bombing in Syria, indicating quite frankly that this is not just at a level that can't be discussed, but at a level where the folks in the US, civilian folks listening to this podcast, should start thinking very seriously about why there is no discussion associated with who ISIS is in the context of this history, and also associated with why an ongoing bombing campaign is doing anything other than creating a humanitarian disaster. Tom Barbelay in San Jose, signing out.